Welcome to Retail Intel, a show dedicated to discussing the commercial real estate landscape, discussing hot topics with decision makers at growing retail concepts, and learning the stories behind successful leaders in the industry. I'm Ashley Casey, Director of National Accounts with Phillips Edison. Today, we're speaking with David Bromfield, the Vice President of Development at Results Physiotherapy. We discuss the story behind the company, which dates back almost 25 years, along with how Results is navigating the dynamic conditions that 2020 brings into this new year. Hey, David. Hey, Ashley, how are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you? Good, thanks. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. So you and I first met when I visited Austin for um, one of the maybe retail live shows, I believe. I think it was Austin. Why did I think it was Dallas? I think it might have been Dallas because I think we were in a whiskey bar. Yeah, there were several guys. um, You know how these uh, things are at these uh, conventions. Everybody's vying for... uh, for some sort of audience, but um, yeah, I do remember that. That was the first foray into potentially doing some uh, deals with Phillips Edison. So, yeah, um, I feel yeah. like and, a lot of great commercial real estate reports start in little whiskey bars. <laughs> bars, yes. What does that say for the uh, uh, for the industry? <laughs> I want to get into that, but um, but it, it is fun, and I miss it. <laughs> but yeah. you know, for those people in the industry that don't know, can you introduce us to yourself and tell us a little bit about your role with Results Physiotherapy? Yeah. So I'm David Bromfield. Um, I'm the Vice President of uh, Development for Results PT. So my role is basically overseeing uh, the growth of the company. I also have the um, uh, the purchasing department rolls up through me as well, probably due to my obnoxious negotiation skills, which obviously lends itself well to, um, to lease negotiations, etc. But um, I joined the company about 10 years ago. The company at that point had sort of mid to late 30s as far as clinic numbers uh, go and was starting off its its true sort of growth uh, trajectory. <laughs> we were a very different company back then. And uh, I basically worked at that point just trying to consolidate a few of the uh, departmental functions. And then sort of a couple of years later, we ended up bringing a private equity company into um to sponsor us and then um, uh, sort of leverage their their financial backing for us to grow. And um, we're we're sort of nearing on 200 uh, locations. Uh, We should be 200 by the end of this year, uh, 200 plus. So, um, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a fun journey from what's ostensibly a small business 10 years ago to uh, what would be considered a a medium-sized enterprise at the moment, I guess. You've and, seen it grow uh, exponentially. It sounds like that's... Yeah, we have. It's, um, I, I mean, this is part of uh, a, a lot of healthcare at the moment is either aggregating or, or, or trying to grow its footprint. Something we do a little differently here, a lot of healthcare sectors grow through acquisition. We actually, uh, all of our growth, bar one or two clinics, has been through um, uh, de novo expansion. So it allows us to control where we open, who we open with, and the product that we provide inside the four walls is of the utmost importance to us. And um, uh, it allows us to control uh, the, the quality of our PT that we provide as well. So, um, so yeah, it's, um, it's been a fun journey. We, uh, we obviously ran into a bit of a hiccup uh, in 2020 with COVID. But um, look, I think we've come through that uh, stronger than uh, we, we realized we could back in uh, sort of March, April time of last year. 
It was definitely um, a difficult and scary time back then. And hopefully we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with this new year. Um, and fingers crossed it's it's a good one. Better than it started out, at least. <laughs> yeah, we, um, uh, I mean, I, I can talk a little bit to how we, we navigated through it if you want. It's, really? um I mean, we, you go back to March and there, there were conversations around, um, hey, we need to... Uh, need to hold off on uh, opening this clinic or we need to not ex, uh, execute this lease. And yeah, I know a few people are getting sick, but um, how dramatic is this? And then, uh, of course, over a period of a couple of weeks, it really unfolded pretty quickly. I think we're very fortunate to have a very experienced and uh, deliberate CEO in place, uh, Mike Martin, together with our CFO, Andrew Lang. They did a, a fantastic job working with our board to navigate financially through the impact of COVID, we shut our company down for a month. Part of that was because it was mandated in some of the states that we were operating. And the other part was strategic to, um, to ensure that we had a company to operate um, when, when we sort of rise from the ashes. So that was a, a crazy time. And as a lot of uh, multi-site centers probably did at this point, we spent a lot of time renegotiating leases uh, deferring rents and just trying to to manage our cash so that when we knew that we'd come back to work, we'd be able to actually run the company as well uh, and not be fearful of, um, uh, of not being able to pay people and things like that. So, um, so yeah, it was um, a challenging time. It changed our company. Um, unfortunately, there were, there were a lot of casualties, whether we lost people permanently or to furlough. Uh, that fellow program got extended month on month um, uh, and thankfully is is no longer in place. And um, we we genuinely are rising from the ashes. I thought they, as, as a company, we had really great foresight into what we should do to prepare ourselves for when uh, things get back to some sort of normality. So we ended up actually getting back on a growth plan towards the end of the year and uh, ending up, I think it was another seven or eight clinics that we opened up before 2020 wrapped up. So um, we are ripe and rolling to go in 2021 and uh, hope that uh, just everybody gets back to some sort of normality. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit more about, you know, how you, you've adapted within the actual clinics. But first, I think it might be important to understand what physiotherapy actually is. I don't know that it's a word that everyone's familiar with. Yeah, so um, physiotherapy and physical therapy can be interchanged, really. Physiotherapy is, is pretty much the international term that's used. And just to give you a bit of background, the results physiotherapy uh, originated, uh, sort of, I don't know, 28 years ago now, here in Nashville with, um, with a couple of Australians who partnered with Tracy Corkins. Uh, Tracy Corkins, one of the... Um, greatest uh, Olympic swimmers of all time. I believe she went to high school here and um, her connection with Australia was Mark Stockwell, I, I believe who was a swimmer as well. So they, Gary Cunningham and Laura Lee Cunningham, who uh, basically uh, founded the company, uh, founded it as Tracy Corkins uh, Physiotherapy. And the reason for that was that they recognized with Tracy that there wasn't the appropriate level of expert physical therapy available to her here in Nashville. And um, I think that they just discovered that some of the PT or the, or the physios in Australia were 
um, of a very high caliber. So they saw a business opportunity there to try and elevate the profession. I think they imported a few Australians back then, got them working and um, and sort of developed the brand under under Tracy Corkins. Tracy departed from the from the company uh, several years later. Uh, and Greg Spurgeon, uh, an Australian PT and I guess an entrepreneur, came into the company and um, uh, and they rebranded it to Results Physiotherapy at that point. So physiotherapy, what we do is outpatient PT. Uh, we are very much a hands-on provision of uh, physical therapy services. There are a lot of PT providers that will um, uh, sort of see you on first visits and then maybe you're just based on exercise rehabilitation from there. And for, for a lot of the patient pop- population, that is appropriate, but we feel like we've elevated our offerings as a, as a profession to ensure that we're giving the highest quality of, of manual therapy along with exercise prescription as well. So, um, so that's what we have kind of hang our hat on uh, over the years and, and, and how we'll do. And it basically allows us to position ourselves as the best provider of PT where we operate our clinics. So not sure if that gives a a, a clear explanation of what physiotherapy is, but uh, please ask more. I think that's great. It's more fun than saying physical therapy to me. So I love it. (laughs) We do get a lot of people misreading and go, so... So what part of psychotherapy are you, you you're providing here? And like, I might need it, but we don't offer it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so healthcare, I know, has been entering, you know, retail centers for several years now, and it's become more and more mainstream. Whenever results or the, the original DBA of the company, whenever they first entered the market 20 plus years ago, were they looking in retail centers or was it, you know, was the criteria any different? That's that's an interesting question. I don't know the answer completely, but I know that um, we have changed and and it was part of what I changed a little bit of as the, I mean, we went from 35 clinics that were in a combination of medical office buildings, uh, buildings related to medical offerings. I mean, I think we all realize that people get their healthcare generally where they shop, generally where um, where they work. And there is still a heavy amount of healthcare provided in medical centers that are central hubs. But I think at the end of the day, what we are trying to do is when you're coming to see us two, three times a week, the last thing you need to be doing is driving 30 minutes from where you work or where you, where you live. So the convenience factor for us is, is generally daily needs. Um, and if we can associate with daily needs with some commercial activity and, uh, and if there's some sort of uh, medical annex there as well, uh, then that's a perfect uh, combination. But um, yeah, I think we've probably migrated more towards the retail side of things, uh, purely because it's, it's, it's better for the consumer. So when you mentioned shopping, what kind of shopping are you talking about? Power centers, you know, Phillips Edison is grocery anchored. So is it more of that sort of product? I think that's why we did two, two quick deals with you because you're grocery anchored. So the important thing for us to understand is that when you're going somewhere three times a week, you really need to be close to daily needs or, or to, I mean, there, there are some power centers that we're in, but they're generally in, in larger retail hubs that have multiple um, uh, housing communities. They have healthcare there, they have commercial, they have retail, they have grocery, you name it, they've got everything there. But when you're getting into the more neighborhood uh, areas, yeah, having grocery anchored 
is is definitely favorable because that's where people are living most of their lives. They're, they're commuting through those areas or to those areas when they leave work. Um, so we want to make it as convenient as possible. So um, that's why Philip Edison should be a good partner for us. I think we tend to agree with that strategy, um, seeing as all of our centers are, prime, you know, grocery encouraged shopping centers. But um, this past year, it's really proven to be the winner in the commercial real estate category. So hopefully that means it was smart thinking on, on both of our parts in terms of our acquisition and leasing strategies. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, I do feel for, for a lot of the uh, the office properties at the moment. Um, uh, but I think everybody knows uh, there there are seasons that happen in, in, in all sides of industry. I don't think it's the death of office, but it might just need, need to be a little bit of the rejigging of, I don't think people are looking for 50,000 square foot uh, office centers now. Um, they're looking more for people to work from home and just having some sort of corporate presence mm-hmm. where they can have a corporate office and that could be 5,000, 10,000 square feet, not 50s. Well, kind of digging deeper into your site criteria, what sort of size do you look for? And can you tell me about the demographics that you guys seek at results? Yeah. So to give a background to that, we have clinics that are as small as 1,000 square feet, very few, all the way up to 6,000 square feet. The sweet spot for us when we're going into a new market is anything between 2,000 to 2,500 square feet. We've actually compressed that from where we were six, seven years ago, um, where we would look more so at the three to three and a half thousand square feet. Yeah, so 2,500 square foot doesn't need to be right up front. We're destination. People come to us three times a week. So so if we're in line at, at the backside of a, of a grocery uh, anchored um, centre, then that suits us. It's important for us to have good parking. Good, uh, good access to the clinic because obviously a lot of our patients are maybe the walking wounded or need wheelchair access or, or, or the likes. So, so we want to try and make that as easy for them as possible as well. What about demographics? You mentioned you like medical densities, uh, retail centers and medical densities. Are you looking for an older demographic or is this really kind of successful among all ages and income levels? Yeah, look, I think the reality with PT is you don't need to be a certain profile to need it. Um, the rich need it. The, the the folk who are not rich need it. It doesn't matter what your um, uh, your your demographic is. It's important for us to provide access to our patients that can access us from an insurance perspective uh, or from a cash pay perspective as well. I mean. We do like to see association with some particular brands, but um, I mean, I always find myself saying, well, the people that are our demographic are the people who I'm generally talking to. So somebody like yourself, Ashley, most of the people that we work with, we have clinics that are in uh, what would be called maybe not the most desirable parts of town. And we know that we're providing a great service there as well to the people of those communities. And then we find ourselves in high-end spots like Buckhead in Atlanta, so um, where uh, the rich and famous, they also need PT as well. So hopefully they make a good choice and come to us, though. That's my neighborhood, but I'm not rich or famous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you are, actually. I just overpay in rent. <laughs> well, there you go. But if you need PT, we are there. I got it. Um, yeah, I do see you guys. Um, you mentioned that you know you started when the company was only in the mid 30s, and now you'll have just close to 200. We're, okay. we're 
I think we're on about buck eighty at the moment. We've got another twenty five on the on the on the docket for this year. So um, yeah, we, we are they all corporate stores? Yes. Or are these franchises? Okay, all corporate. We so- we had some franchises many years ago, and um, uh, there's no need for us to franchise uh, this. We we like to have the control over the operations and and have everything consolidated. It's um, it works well for us. When you go into a market, do you seek out a physical therapist after you identify what would be a good market for results, or does that step come prior? That's not our preferred way to go. Our preferred way to go is that we promote from our bench. We try and develop strong benches. So something that you might know about uh, us is we own a continuing education company as well uh, called IAMT or the Institute for Advanced Musculoskeletal Treatments. It's really easy for, for us to say. So as part of that, we we basically provide four times the um, uh, sort of required education for all of our therapists annually. Um, we put them through manual therapy courses and um, they're all accredited our courses. We bring international speakers in and, uh, and lecturers. So, so we have a very healthy um, education platform, which is a, one of the main reasons why PTs choose to come and work for us. So from that, we feel that we can give them the best tools to be successful when it comes to opening new clinics. So it's not to say that we don't recruit uh, if we don't have somebody on the bench. Uh, we often do, but it's not our preferred method. So to answer your question, if we go into a new markets, we may even recruit somebody that we know is already of high competence and uh, would be a good fit for the product that we're trying to promote. When it comes to geographical areas that you're in and that you're expanding to, what are those? I know you're heavy in the Southeast. Yeah, we've been very deliberate in sort of consolidating our growth to the Southeast. Uh, there are some states that we're not in for varying reasons. As you move from state to state, uh, the reimbursement of, of physical therapy offerings changes. And um, I mean, some states it can be prohibitive to actually provide the high quality of services that we that we provide. So our current focus is not to expand into any more states immediately. It's not to say that we won't, because we do look at opportunities that would allow us to do that. But uh, our heavy markets at the moment are the four major markets in Texas, Atlanta, in, in Georgia, and then continuing to grow in, in all of our sort of more mature markets that we're operating in as well. I mean, Nashville is a good example. We've added four clinics in Nashville in the last 18 months. And um, I mean, we've been operating here for 28 years and we're still growing. So that's our main focus at the moment. But um, who knows? You might see us pop up in St. Louis or Oklahoma. Who knows? So you mentioned that the company adapted to the pandemic operationally in several different ways. I assume physical therapy was an essential business categorized. In some states it was, in some states it was not, um, okay. which there's some absurdity associated with that that we won't go into. But um, yeah, look, we did the best we could initially and then realized that for the benefit of the company and the employees long term, we had to take some drastic measures. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a reduction in our workforce. And it was a very painful uh, process. Uh, we had a significant, um, a significant amount of 
um, staff that were put on furlough, consistent with what we saw across the industry and a lot, a lot of other healthcare sectors as well. And it wasn't just healthcare, this has impacted so many industries. But um, I think your point you were getting to is we were still uh, needing to provide services because patients still needed physical therapy. We saw a reduction in elective surgeries. So when that gets reduced, those post-operative requirements diminish as well. But we've been getting back up there, and I think we're just about getting to pre-COVID levels as we speak. So um, even though we're going through this sort of troublesome second wave. So what was done within each clinic to ensure that customers felt safe uh, coming into an enclosed space? Yeah, well, we we do the mandated PPE, personal protective equipment. Um, we uh, elevated our cleaning function within the clinics. Um, we work with multiple vendors on different types of products to ensure that every single part of our clinics are sanitized. Our staff are wearing masks. We have shields at our um, at our check-in areas. We've reduced the amount of touch interaction where it's unnecessary, but by nature of the provision were hands-on physical therapy. So it's been a challenge, but we've done everything that we possibly can to have reasonable management of, of what we should be doing to uh, mitigate any unnecessary transfer of the disease. And I mean, we've had clinics shut down, we've had staff go on leave, we've had patients un- unable to come in because of it, because they're quarantining. So on our corporate function, we've we have a we have a head office, a new one, but we we don't actually operate in it uh, unless it's absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. I actually went to the dentist this week, which is my first time since the onset of the pandemic. But I felt very safe, you know, just all the protocols put into place, and um, it just it feels so clean, and it's very nice because I don't know if your dentist operates this way, but. You know, in 2019, there was a big waiting room and you might be there for 45 minutes or so. But now everything is so streamlined to the customer. Mm-hmm. You come in, you make your appointment, you come in and you're out like in the allotted amount of time. So there are some uh, definite perks for the consumer throughout this time. But hopefully we'll, we'll be back to strong sales levels throughout the whole industry sooner than later. <laughs> Yeah, that's the plan. And um, I, I think that it's a good point you, you made about the waiting room. One of the mantras of ours has been we shouldn't have a lot of waiting room space because we want our patients to come back. They, we want them engaged with our physical therapists uh, because we know their time's precious as well. And we want to optimize the time allocated not to a waiting room. We want them to have face-to-face contact with uh, with our uh, clinicians. So. I love that. And it sounds like that was in place prior to to all of this. So that's awesome. So kind of circling back to your background, I'm interested, you said you started about 10 years ago. What was your background prior to joining Results? Oh, all over the place. So I I thought I was actually going to have a a career in music at one point. Um, I used to play the trumpet and uh, I was planning somehow to go to study music and uh, I walked into a barbed wire fence and it ripped my lips. So I didn't play trumpet for, uh, again, really. And um, I, I ended up going to college in London, um, University College Hospital, Middlesex Hospital, studying medical imaging and um, uh, worked with that for, for several years, emigrated to Australia and found myself sort of living between the UK and Australia for a period of about 10 years 
Um, through that process, I was doing a lot of locums in, in hospitals. I just realized that every time I was going into a hospital that was an Australian in the UK, or if I was in Australia, there'd be a, a British or South African person working there. So I ended up setting up a, a medical recruiting company uh, many years ago, and I worked with that for many years until till that was acquired. And from there, I, I just jumped back into sort of corporate healthcare management. Um, so that's what I was doing prior to moving to the US. Uh, and when I moved over here, it was a, a perfect opportunity to apply my experience to a company that was sort of growing out of its boots and uh, uh, and looking to, to to grow exponentially like we have. So, um, yeah. It's, Did um, you pick Nashville prior to being brought on by Result? No, uh, I think Nashville picked me. Um, <laughs> So I, um, I, I met my wife in Nashville. I um, uh, traveled here to visit some buddies. Uh, I don't know, it's probably getting 12 years ago now, 13 years ago. And um, I was introduced to my wife um, after being told I was getting introduced to somebody else, but that somebody else wasn't working that day. And I met <laughs> my wife, Tasha, and um, thankfully she, um, yeah, we, we headed off and, uh, We've been married for, for close to 10 years now, and we've got a little six-year-old boy. So I was always coming to Nashville, and then when I got here, Gary and Greg had, had recently moved back to Australia, so I sort of got more acquainted with them, and uh, uh, and then they, they gave me an opportunity, um, and hopefully it's worked out for both parties. That's very, very cool. I love that story. And it's funny you mentioned healthcare management. I actually thought I would go into that sector as well. I had my first job at 16 and worked in a healthcare office until after college and just was very interested in the field. And I started a master's degree actually in healthcare management and just realized my brain did not work that way. <laughs> I couldn't um, focus on the structure, like the management structures. And I felt like I just needed to be front facing all the time. And plus just all the knowledge you have to have in the healthcare field on top of having that sort of management personality. So good for you. And you're a great negotiator and seller. So I feel like you really kind of fit the mold when it comes to the role you have at results. So you fell kind of into a great space, it seems. I think so, yeah. I mean, having a healthcare background to start off with always helps you when you end up in healthcare management. Look, when I came on board at Results, um, I had I had the IT department, I had the HR department, uh, and I'm the last person that you need running an IT or an HR department. So it, we, we sort of grew to have experts in their field run those departments, and um, and that's been really, really positive for Results as a company. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, playing to my strengths in, in this role, I'd never done a lot of uh, lease management historically. I'd done a lot of uh, sort of contract management um, in previous roles. So it was a quick learning and um, yeah, it, it's been fun. It wasn't too much fun through, uh, through those COVID months when we were renegotiating leases. Um, that, was, uh, that was a challenge, but um, yeah, we got through it. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, luckily our leasing team didn't have to, you know, have a, a strong involvement in any of that. It was primarily our asset management team, which, you know, I'm not envious of them at all because I know it was 
difficult on both sides, both the retailer and the landlord. Um, and hopefully, you know, you were able to work out some good agreements with your landlords overall. I know that um, a lot of folks struggled, but, um, but you know, fingers crossed, like I said, that this year just holds, holds a better fortune for us. I was reading your bio on the website and I noticed that you are a golf fan and it struck me because I'm from Augusta um, mm. and I'm curious, I actually grew up on a street called Pebble Beach Drive. Wow. <laughs> so curious, um, you know, where you played and what your favorite courses are and what courses wow. you play at. Well, um, I was hoping as a result of our meeting today that you have some sort of access to uh, Augusta National and um yeah, but look, yeah, I've been a, I've been a, a passionate golf fan and and player for for many years. When I moved to the US, uh, one of my plans was to play golf in all fifty states. I'm up to thirty seven so far, so I've got thirteen left. And um, yeah, it's it's really difficult, you know, to say what's what's the best golf course you played because I've been on so many beautiful golf courses and and played poorly and hated the course as a result. <laughs> And then you can you can play really well on a, on a course and love it for for that fact. But um, I've been really lucky to play it at a lot of courses around the world. And um, yeah, I mean, there, there's so many to mention. In, in your neck of the woods, um, just playing at Eastlake, that was um, that was a fantastic experience. And um, uh, it ate my lunch. Uh, I've never seen rough quite as bad, but um, I got used to it by the end of the uh, by the end of the round. So. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's a it's a great sport to to just play for the rest of your life, you know. But it's a beautiful course. It's like I'm trying to learn golf now, but I'm not very coordinated. <laughs> but I'm trying very hard and reading all the books. Um, and you just got to practice. I, that's what my dad says. He says I think too hard about it. Um, yeah. But every now and then, you, when you hit that one stroke, I feel like mm -hmm. that makes it all worth it. You know. <laughs> Um, Absolutely does. And and that's what everybody says. It's the one shot that brings you back. So um, kind of like real yeah. estate, you know, you got told no, at least in my realm of it, told no, I don't know, a hundred times. And then that one time that you get a yes, it yeah. it's all worth it. But, you know, in our industry, we travel all the time, or at least we did prior to March of last year. Have you been traveling at all for results? So I started back traveling in around about, uh, I think it was October, November time. There was just to stay on track with our uh, expansion plans. I, I really need to get into the markets and, um, and have a good sense of what the real estate availability is. And just to have a good sense of the market, you, you can only do so much desktop diligence, et cetera. Um, so I've traveled a little bit. Um, I've been to Atlanta, I've been to Dallas, I've been to Austin, San Antonio, and Houston, I think that's all I've been to post sort of the, the COVID disruption. Sure. Um, but I, I plan to do a significant amount of travel sort of start of February really is my, my, my travel plans. And it all bakes into our 2022-2023 planning. So uh, 2021's pretty much wrapped up. But uh, yeah, for 22 and 23, we've still got a lot of work to do. Where's the next place you'll be going, either for business or leisure? It's actually Atlanta. Well, yeah, I'm down there. We've got a um, uh, we've got a meeting at the end of January to um, to work out 2022 plans. Okay. So um, that will be my first work travel destination. That will be driving, I think. But as far as fun, 
we've just booked a trip to Aruba um, oh my for March. And um, I can't wait because I've lived by the beach my whole life. And uh, yeah, this not traveling thing, it's not good for my soul. So I'm on your page. Have you been to Aruba before? Yeah, I've been a couple of times. We generally try to get down the Caribbean or the Caribbean, as you guys say, <laughs> a couple of times a year. Uh, Grand Cayman is where we love going. Um, it's just beautiful there, but um, there's still some pretty significant constraints on on entering there. So we're we're hopeful that uh, Aruba works out, and then maybe we double dip with uh, Grand Cayman in the middle of the year. That would be that would be really nice. That sounds so fun. Um, I've been to Aruba once. It was on Thanksgiving about four years ago. And I'll have to send you a picture. I'm on the beach with um, a turkey hat on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, As you do. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a good time there. Aruba's beautiful. And I feel was like... It, was it a corporate trip or was it personal? It was a personal trip. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know um, that I've worn any turkey hats at company events, but... You never know. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. And there's whiskey bars, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful, friendly island there, isn't it? It, it is. It's very nice. Thanks so much to David for joining us in the first retail intel discussion of 2021. We're excited to see the growth of this company as healthcare-related concepts become an even hotter tenant in retail centers. If you'd like to connect with me or the rest of the National Accounts team. Send us an email to nationalaccounts at philipsedison.com. We'll have even more exciting retail trends, news, and stories to share with you this year. So keep tuning in.